Okay, good evening. I guess when I say good evening, there's actually no one here yet. But you'll be seeing this on YouTube, so it's being recorded. So tonight's question is about the, the need to believe in rebirth. The question is, can you be a Buddhist? Can you become enlightened? without a belief in rebirth. And so, first of all, uh, with I guess, as with a lot of questions, we have to start by clarifying that when I talk about Buddhism, and when I answer this, or most questions, I'm talking about my Buddhism, my form of Buddhism. And that's important to say because I think many people are not aware that there are many types of Buddhism, some of which actually conflict with each other, who have views that conflict with each other. Some forms of Buddhism were, were created as a sort of a counter to another type of Buddhism and so on. And there are all sorts of different practices and even different beliefs, and many of the beliefs are the same, many of the core principles are the same. Um, but I'm only speaking from my perspective. So I'll say things like Buddhism, in Buddhism, I just mean my form. So here I'm going to start by saying that in Buddhism, uh, we make the claim of being scientific. So that I'm, I'm not suggesting that I think everyone agrees with that, um, or that it's easy to see. I think there are a lot of people, if they looked into Buddhism, superficially at least, they would feel it's not very scientific. I mean, there's some things, I think, about Buddhism as it's, as it's um, you know, formed that are unscientific and perhaps even uh, exaggerated or, or misrepresented or you know, maybe even wrong. Like, like accounts of things and, and details and descriptions and so on. But in, in its basic and in its, in its basics, in its essence, we would say there are scientific principles at, at work. And so the analogy I'm going to use, the question of whether you need to, you need to understand rebirth, you need to believe in rebirth in order to become enlightened. Let's say it like that. Uh, it's similar like similar to whether the question of whether you can be a scientist, a good scientist, uh, like a great scientist, and not believe in the nuclear bomb, uh, the, the, a thermonuclear bomb, let's say. And why I put it like that, it's not a perfect analogy, um, but it's a useful one because it points to two very different things. It puts things in perspective, right? Because when people look at Buddhism, they say, well, what does Buddhism believe? Well, Buddhism believes in rebirth. And you say, what? That's just a religious belief. And, you know, where's their proof? Where's their evidence? And it's, it's, it's kind of like saying, well, scientists, scientists um, claim to have a, a, a nuclear bomb. Uh, and they can blow, blow things up with just um, a small, well, a relatively small bit of of whatever, plutonium, I guess, uranium. Uh, but there are scientific principles behind it, and, and how you how you explain the 
atomic bomb is not by, not by magic or not because you found it in the forest somewhere or because you you just um, you know cobbled it together. No, there are there are very uh, detailed principles at work in order to, that are required in order to create a, uh, a thermonuclear bomb. Now, rebirth is not like that because, of course, the idea is that it happens to everyone. But it doesn't happen all the time. It's not a common part of life. And, you know, as a result, it's not really a basic, important part of Buddhism. So can you be a, become enlightened without, uh, without believing in rebirth? I would say the answer is yes. Um, but just as a really good scientist, let's say a scientist who's just learned everything there is to know about material science, um, if you ask them, do you believe in the nuclear bomb, the, the thermonuclear bomb, they would say, of course. I mean, I can explain it to you. Uh, and so the, the problem, of course, or the, the dilemma or the, the challenge for, as Buddhists is to try and explain rebirth, but explain it in terms of um, in terms of scientific principles. And that's not often done, I, I find. You know, I mean, I think the texts are not always accessible and, and there's some basic sort of the idea that craving, if you have craving, you're going to be reborn. I mean, that's often talked about. Um, but it is often presented in such a way that, or it's, it's read about or heard about in such a way as to just be a belief, something we have faith in because the Buddha taught us. Which isn't really the case. It doesn't have to be the case. It's not. It is often the case, and many Buddhists do just believe in it. That's. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's like I believe in the nuclear bomb. I have no idea how it works, or no detailed knowledge of how it works. Um, but a scientist knows, and and the the important thing here is you don't have to be able to explain it. Um, it's not really my job to explain to people about rebirth. I do often because it's of course such a object of contention. There's a lot of people who asks, who ask, you know, do I have to? I want to be a Buddhist, but I don't believe in rebirth. I just don't believe in it. Uh, so can I be a, can I practice Buddhism? Can I become enlightened? Now, if you didn't believe in a nuclear bomb, and this is different, right? There's, 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 sorry, we have to be, clarify what we mean by believe. If you don't have a conviction about the nuclear bomb, that's fine, right? You can still be a scientist and you can learn. And, and the idea is that eventually you're going to learn and you're going to understand. You'll say, oh yeah, yes, it's great. But if, on the other hand, you believe that there's no such thing as a nuclear bomb, I don't know how much that shuts you out of being a scientist, but you can see how it would get in your way. It certainly can get in the way of Buddhism. And, and the most obvious way it gets in the way when you say, I believe it's wrong, I believe rebirth is wrong, is that it takes something away from the practice. What, what does the practice come, become then? If you don't have an understanding, um, if you don't have an understanding of the, the extent to which it's important to free yourself from defilements and purify your mind and so on, uh, then it, it cuts you off to some extent to the sort of the sense of importance and urgency and the far-reaching effects or, or, or significance of what we're doing. So it becomes hard to really put effort into meditation if it's just going to be about, what, feeling good in this life, being a good person in this life, and so on. 
I mean, who cares? You, why not just eat, drink, and marry? Because you're going to die anyway. That's it, right? So, it is an important thing. If it were true that we, when we died, there's nothing, it kind of reduces the importance of meditation. Right? So it becomes an important doctrine in that in that sense, and and thus you could say there's an importance for us to to talk about it, to explain it. So. Um, so let's talk about why Buddhism sees itself as scientific, or why I see it, my Buddhism as scientific. So the difference, the real difference, and the reason why a lot of scientists probably say we're not uh, we're not scientific, is because you can't. Um, I think the word, the term is it's unfalsifiable, in the sense that you couldn't prove whether someone was telling the truth or not. Right. Like if I say, uh, if I say I sat down and closed my eyes and I left my body, how can I prove that to someone? How can I provide evidence? How could someone show whether I'm true, telling the truth or 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 not? Right. So superficially, it seems like you're dealing with something that's subjective and problematic. Um, you know, subject to so much bias, right? And it is, of course. If I sit here and I close my eyes and, and I see the Buddha, right? I will say to you, the Buddha came to me. I wouldn't say that, but so many people do. They would say things like this. Christians say, I saw Jesus. And people go even further. They'll hear something and they'll say, oh, it was God who came to me, or it was the Buddha who came to me, or so on. Right? So they didn't even see it. They didn't even have real interesting evidence. Uh, but they extrapolate it. I mean, that's, that's just as common. But even if I did see the Buddha in front of me, how do I know it's really the Buddha? How do I know it's not Mara pretending to be the, be the Buddha? Uh, if, same if I, saw, if I saw Jesus or so on. How do I know it's really Jesus? Right. Most people are content, religious people are content with um, affirming their experience as true and this is what science this is the argument science has right no matter what you suppose i remember pat my past lives well science would say how do you know it's a memory how do you know it's not just a delusion an illusion right they talk about leaving your body as just some hallucination and so on how could you tell the difference it's a quandary i mean this is a question that um is valid um but it's also valid for I mean, turning the tables, I think, it's also valid for the material world around us. How do we know that the laws of physics mean anything? How do we know it's not just God, um, you know, playing, playing around, you know, in his workshop? Well, how do we know tomorrow God isn't going to just say, eh, gravity, who needs it? And suddenly, suddenly we all float off into space. We don't. Uh, we, we're pretty sure that's not going to happen. There's no evidence or reason for us to believe that it's going to happen. But we don't know. And, and, and no, that's probably not going to happen. But what we don't know is that, like, say, take the laws of thermodynamics. We can't know whether those are true. We just say, well, that's, you know, what we, we understand. And you could even say believe, though it's, it's a reasonable belief. It's rational. And with so many things, the speed of light, they say it's constant. Well, how do we know it's constant, right? and so on and so on it's not really to dispute any of these things it's just to say 
in fact, they're not in the realm of anything we can know. And I keep going back to Descartes, and I uh, apologize for everyone who's heard me say this many, many times, but he works for in a Western context to help frame this for a Western audience, because he saw this. I mean, all the whatever you say about him, I don't know how great he was, I think many of the things are sketchy from my perspective, but he said, uh, you can't know any of this. It's sort of this, um, it became, I think, this this idea of the brain and the vat. For anyone who's seen this very famous movie, The Matrix, well, The Matrix didn't come up with that concept. They they took it from this this philosophical thought experiment. Um, that what, how do we know we're not just a brain in a vat? And a vat is a thing that has fluid in it that keeps the brain alive and it's got all these electrodes plugged into the brain and uh, it, it stimulates the brain and, and says to the brain, it's like virtual reality basically. How do we know this isn't virtual reality? I mean, we're pretty sure it isn't and we have no reason to believe it is and it's anyone who's suggested it is is usually kind of laughed at because it's not a very reason. I mean, there's no reason to believe that. Occam's razor and all that. But uh, but it's not in the realm of things that we can know. Now Descartes saw this and he said, well, hmm, what can I know? And this is where he came up with this cogito ergo sum, which means uh, I co I'm, cognis I'm cognizant, I'm conscious, basically. Consciousness is something that, that exists, because you can't trick someone into thinking they're thinking. We, 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 you, you can't create consciousness without consciousness. It, it can't be something else. I mean, I mean, you can. The idea is it can be created for sure, but it's consciousness. It's not something else. You're not being tricked into thinking that you're conscious, because you have to be conscious in order to to, to be aware of it, right? Now, that's all fine and good for Descartes, and I, I think it's a really great thing that he he did there. But in Buddhism, it goes even further, because Buddhism, of course, is not so much interested in theory. We're interested in practice. And on a practical level, not being able to know something for sure is, is significant. So when we sit down and close our eyes, we're not interested in whether we remember our past lives or, or whether we leave our body or so on. All of those are objects of experience, just as um, you know, experiences in your body or memories of yesterday, what you had for breakfast. All of these are experiences, and experiences are, um, well, the, the Buddhist, important Buddhist theory is that they're impermanent, they're unsatisfying, and they're uncontrollable, and that our grasping these things as stable, as satisfying, as controllable, as me, as mine, and so on, possessiveness and identification, all of that is creative. I don't know if creative is the right word, it's um, no, creative, for lack of a better word. It, it, it's creative in the sense that it's, it's productive, that's the word I'm looking for. It produces a result. So if I want money, then suddenly I'm, a, I'm an employee or I'm a, I'm a business person. Suddenly I, I need a livelihood. If I want, uh, suppose I want to get married, then, oh boy, <laughs> I have to, uh, well, I probably have to need some new clothes. Um, I have to shave every day. I have to shower every day. I have to pluck my nose hairs and so on, put on makeup or whatever. 
and then I and then I mean that's nothing. Then I have to go out. Then I have to, wow. Uh, if I want a car, if I want, if if just I mean, sorry, those are actually all too abstract. It's every moment of liking, and this is what you see in meditation, and this is what's important for this question, is that every moment of liking something is productive. It reinforces a habit or creates a new habit and um, it, it identifies things with with results. So if I get this again, I'll be happy. We think of it and we think, yes, I want that. And when we want that, we, we it's productive. Like, I, Let's take a simple example. I'll be sitting in meditation and suddenly I think, ah, Facebook, I want to check Facebook. And suddenly I'm no longer sitting in meditation, I'm checking Facebook, right? Uh, oh, I want to listen to this monk answer this question. Oh, but what about Facebook? Or sorry, I'm listening to the monk answer this question, but then I say, oh, I wonder, I wonder what's going on in Facebook. Or, or oh, someone just pinged me, and you, you have this, this intention, this desire, and suddenly you're no longer listening. Or maybe you're listening to me, and suddenly you think of something. And suddenly you're distracted, you're no longer listening to me, you're now thinking about something you have to do, some work or some pleasure or something. Right? So it's cre it's productive. Uh, craving is productive or any kind of... We use the word craving. The idea is any kind of um, impulse, any kind of wanting, let's say, wanting of anything, want to do this, want to do that, want to be this, want to be that, want this, want that, don't want this, don't want that, like want this not to be, is also a thing. Uh, when, when suppose I'm sitting and a mosquito is buzzing around me, right? I don't want that mosquito. And so, whack, I hit the, I hit the mosquito. I do, it's productive. That continues throughout our lives. That's the principle of Buddhism. That's why we practice. We practice to try and change that. So that when we hear the mosquito, it's just hearing. We say to ourselves, hearing, hearing. And the idea is that it just becomes hearing. It's not bad, it's not a problem. It's not scary or annoying or anything. And so it's not productive. And we cultivate this habit and we change and we start to see, hmm, these things that I, I was looking for pleasure in, I was looking for happiness in, they're actually just creating more and more stress, right? And I'm never going to get what I want because they're chaotic, they're impermanent, they're unsatisfying, they're uncontrollable. And so you see this throughout the practice. So that's the basic Buddhist premise. And, and that, that's why rebirth becomes really important, is because, okay, this is great. But it only really has significance if it's if it's um, if it's uninterrupted, because it's it's quite difficult to change your habits. It would be much easier if you just enjoyed the things you enjoyed, hated the things you hate, kind of get by. For many of us, not for all of us, I think I think those of us who are in a position of privilege, anyone really who's able to watch this YouTube, well most or many of the people who are able to watch this YouTube video are in places of privilege and never had really had to deal with the horrors of war, famine. Yeah, I mean, even probably there are people here that watching this who have suffered from sexual abuse or, or domestic violence. 
people who have had drug abuse issues, people who are on medications for depression and so on. Um, all of these, all all of these things. This is what we're uh, we're working on. Um, so the idea is that eventually it becomes a question of whether whether this is going to catch up with us, whether we're going to have bad things happen to us, and so on, and whether we're going to have to. Uh, deal with our reactions, deal with deal with this result, the productivity of our our attachment. Um, so, in in regards to rebirth, the the question is, well, you know, how how do we how do we justify that it doesn't just come to an end? That this is actually important because it's interesting. It's interesting if craving leads to problems in your life but the idea that it's going to lead to problems in a future life where do, where do you get that from so the the first thing I, I've commented before talked about before is that it's the it's the null hypothesis this is a scientific term I learned it I started throwing out these big word, big terms that you shouldn't really have to know but but it's a useful one and I picked it up for that reason. I don't. I don't just like to throw out terms. But the null hypothesis is a scientific term. Uh, it, it it refers to the hypothesis that nothing is going to happen. In other words, you ask yourself, okay, if I'm going to hypothesize something, how is it different from nothing happening? And the nothing happening is the null hypothesis, right? I, something like that. I'm actually. I may be mangling it. Um, but but basically, it's it's if you say to yourself, what I experience now, this cause and effect relationship, when when I get caught up in something, it affects me. It has a result. If you say that, and then you say, I believe that that this exact same thing is going to happen forever, right? then. You that that's the null hypothesis. You basically said nothing is going to happen, right? nothing new anyway. Nothing is going to be introduced into the system. So to that extent, it's a null hypothesis, saying nothing is going to change. So then someone says, well, yes, but we've we've seen this event. We've seen this event where a person dies, the being dies, and all these ways by which uh, experience occurs seem to cease with it. Right. And so they introduce a hypothesis. It's no longer the null hypothesis. They say something changes. When a person dies, experience stops. Of course, you can't see because there's no eyes. You can't hear because the ears are not functioning. The brain is not functioning, basically. And so, at the very least, this has to be the... This has to be where the claim is. The claim is not that we're reborn. The claim is that we don't die. The claim is that death is only uh, a moment in this ever-changing, ever-continuing uh, moments of experience. 
Now, it's not a bad hypothesis. In fact, Buddhism agrees. I would say Buddhism agrees that yes, at the moment of death, that's when there's no more experience. But there's a problem. That only works if there's nothing that's going to be productive of more experience. Because it gets a little complicated in the sense that um, craving is not the only thing that's productive. Right? The body is productive. The mind itself is productive beyond just craving. And so that's why, that's why an enlightened being doesn't just stop living. Right? I mean, it would be silly to think they would, but it's important to point out that just because you become free from craving doesn't mean there's nothing productive. There's your life, there's your body, there's your mind, and so you live. A person who becomes enlightened doesn't just stop living, of course. It's pointing out that, oh yes, right, of course, it's not just craving that's productive. It's, it's only one of the things that's productive, or, or clinging, or whatever you want to call it. So, a person lives out their life. But an enlightened being, when they die, all of those other productive things are gone. Craving itself is also gone. And so there's nothing productive. When, a, when an, an enlightened being passes away, that's why they enter into what we call parinibbana, or there, there's the cessation, and there's no more, no more rebirth. So, the claim that we make is that uh, this, this productive craving is real. It's independent of ordinary bodily functions that keep us alive. And so at the moment of death, uh, if there is still craving, it's going to give a result. And so that's, that's how you approach this idea of rebirth. Right, that's that's the science behind it. I think this is going to be a longer answer. I hope you're bearing with me. I think it's interesting. But I haven't really... There, there's one last thing to talk about. Um, and, and that's how it is, or, or to what extent, a person can become enlightened without believing in rebirths. Because I've kind of suggested that you don't need to believe in rebirths. If you believe against it, it's going to be a problem, potentially. It may not be. But But either way... As you practice, I mean, I guess I've already mentioned this, but, but just to be clear, as you practice, you become more clear in the truth of rebirth, just because it's an extrapolation of this knowledge that shouldn't be clear. I mean, me telling you that craving is productive shouldn't be clear unless you've done meditation, unless you've actually looked and seen. It's something that you learn as you go, and you really see, wow, this is how it works. There's nothing mysterious about why I cling to things or why I suffer. It's, my, it's habits. It's the building up of habits of, of productive karma, what we call karma. Right? Karma is just this, these moments of productivity. And so you start to see that. And so, for a beginner meditator, it starts to become clear, and you start to open up to the idea of rebirth and say, oh yeah, yeah, I can see how that could happen. I mean, this is really productive. It's really powerful in ways that we didn't realize. Right? We don't realize because we don't realize, So, which, which is why or how we go out and get things. Right? If we knew 
the danger of clinging to things, we wouldn't cling. We say, whoa, that, that's just cause for stress. And we don't realize it. And you start to see this. You start to see, boy, this is really just causing me stress and suffering. Uh, for an advanced meditator, I guess I would just say that it becomes increasingly clear to the point where the idea that when you become enlightened, the idea that craving wouldn't lead to rebirth is just ridiculous. The idea that um, craving is not productive, that craving is just chemicals in the brain or something like that, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. I mean, your, your mind doesn't work in that way. You just don't see things in that way anymore. And um, But it, it, it is never... Uh, the most important belief. I think belief, even out of faith, is useful to sort of give you an idea. Like uh, faith in the nu in the in the thermonuclear bomb is a good thing to have faith in. It's good to believe that the nuclear bombs do exist, um, because they could very there's a very real potential for them to obliterate humankind uh, still today. Uh, I mean, it's kind of that magnitude. Rebirth is, is important in order to remind us that we're not going to get off scot-free. You know, all of our habits, all of these things that we're building up, and, and it should make sense, I think, if you're not steeped in some materialist tradition, it should make sense that what we have here is what's real. I mean, what we're experiencing moment to moment is real. It doesn't just suddenly change. I mean, it's kind of like a a carryover from, if I dare say, from, from theistic religions that believe that God is going to judge us when we die and it's heaven or hell or something. You know, this sort of one life and that's all it is. Now, Buddhism says, this is all that there is, this present moment, this reality. So that's sort of uh, my take on, on, on rebirths. I mean, there's more that you can say. There are always hints that you can get and a part of meditation is about understanding the difference between the body and mind and, and, and some of the realizations you come to and things like leaving your body or remembering past lives are, 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 are quite interesting in that sense. But they don't ever get to this point of, of understanding karma, of understanding this moment after moment of experience and, and the productive nature of, of craving, which really underpins it all. Once you see that, as you realize that through your practice, and the idea of, of, of rebirth, it's just an extension of it. It's just a part of it, really. It's not even an extension. It's just basically saying, oh yes, at that moment, the same thing happens as has always been happening. So, there you go. I mean, I don't think there's anything I could say that would really convince people who, aren't, who are, are, are set against it. Um, and so the last thing I would say, and I've kind of said it already, is that clinging to views, if you cling to a view of belief, either in rebirth, let's say, or against rebirth, it's going to be problematic. I mean, clinging against it will be more problematic from my perspective because it's wrong. But clinging to it can also be problematic as well because it 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 becomes a belief and and, and it's uh, it's never going to be exactly the reality. 
you know, you, you say, yes, yes, I believe in rebirth, I understand it, I've thought about it, I've heard, listened to this talk about it. It's never going to be the same as you actually experiencing it for yourself, the truth of karma, the truth of, of momentary karma, right? Karma is just every moment that we are productive, that we produce some, some desire, some yearning, some habit, and so on. So, don't cling to views. If a person is stubbornly, I don't believe in rebirth, I believe it's wrong, well, drop that, it's heavy. It's not going to help you in any way to, you know, great, good for you that you have this view, but not good for you. It's just going to get in your way. You'd be much better off to investigate scientifically. Try and understand the sorts of things that Descartes understood, cogito ergo sum, that there is experience, that experience arises and ceases, and it's really all that we can be sure of. And everything else that we think we're sure of turns out to be illusion, turns out to be abstraction and concept and so on. And once you'd let go of that and let go of your conceptions, all of our cravings sort of slowly vanish and we come to see things objectively as, as experiences that arise and cease. And then I guess it's kind of ironic that when you finally know the truth about rebirth, you're not reborn again. <laughs> But it does say something about the nature of rebirth, that it's uh, it's not a, not, not a great thing. It's not a very good thing at all, I suppose. It's not, it's not a good thing. And, I mean, many people, when they hear about rebirth, they're excited. They're like, wow, really? I get another chance? I can come back and do this all again? Uh, yeah, if you want to, I suppose. So you learn slowly not only that it's the truth, but that it's not a very good one. It's a problematic one. Okay, so that's all I have to say about that. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.